This is the one with everyone trying out their accents. A floppy-footed rhino dog dragon. Colonel Sanders. And the first of six Horcruxes. It's called the Reavers Operation. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Thalent, Hood, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Some might say a doc past. But some might be right. (laughs) (laughs) Hello there, I recognise you, you're Jim, aren't you? That's right. Hello, Jim. Hello, who are you? I'm Leon. I thought so. (laughs) Now that we've got that out of the way, welcome to Who Back When. Tonight we will be talking about the Reboss Operation. Yes, Reboss. Not, not Ribos. Not how we thought it would be said. Not at all. Apologies, Podcast Land, for having mispronounced this every time it came up. I feel like it's a justified mistake. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Did you have any prior knowledge about this one? Not a dicky bird. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I had not seen this one. Okay. I recognise the title as one of those famous titles. You know, I'd seen it on box sets. I'd definitely seen is on box sets marked The Key to Time. Oh. Uh. Podcast land. Before we jump into this episode proper, before we even launch into a B-Scow, it should be said that before pressing record, Jim asked a very important question. He asked, high level, did you like this one? And we found out that, Jim, did you like this one? Not really. And did I? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We are on opposite sides of the negotiation table here. This is going to be an exciting one. fight begin. (laughs) Time for us to synopsize, lebify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? The Doctor is looking forward to some companionless quality time with new pooch K9 Mark II when the whitest of Galactic Guardians puts the kibosh on their holiday plans and summons the Doctor for a secret, season-long mission to collect the key to time. Every now and then, the universe must be put to rights, and the Guardian is wanting to do just that. Enter the legendary key to time, a cuboid MacGuffin, capable of controlling all of time itself. For safety, it was divided into six different pieces, and so the Doctor, K-9, and brand new companion Romana are off to gather them one by one. The first part is to be found on Rebos, a planet still in a medieval-like era. So Doc and Co will need to tread lightly as not to cause any major galactic problems. Alas, two hoodwinking cajolers are plotting to sell the whole planet to their unsuspecting ex-Emperor Mark, turning a simple search and retrieve mission into a poor man's catch me if you can. Beastgow over, over, you are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Totally different words. (laughs) Wait, what is it? Did you say you give up? What did you say? I'm keeping that. <laughs> that is gold. <laughs> so, Podcast Land, this is the level we're starting at. <laughs> Professional to a fault. Can I ask, what is it about this serial that you disliked? Well, I have a note around episode two where not even halfway through the entire serial, yeah. I'm just like, I do not give a shit about this <laughs> jewel-stealing bollocks. Okay. These two guys that are 
When to- you mean the two cajolas. Yes, the two cajolas. Unstuff and what's his name? Garen. Garen, yes. I think I just had a little bit too much at this point of what seemed to be... If these were famous actors, I would have bet my money it was just a vehicle for them to have a bit of fun and play around with their range of accents. Okay. <laughs> in hindsight, mm-hmm. actually a lot of the stuff that they do in that early period becomes important and they come back to it. But when you're watching it the first time around, like he's he's going in to talk to the guard and setting up the thing about putting money in the vault as the snobbish like guy who's trying to sell the planet. Yeah. But we've just seen him on the the roof of the building breaking in and yeah, being a bit of a London rude boy. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know, I just I just didn't really care. And I'm so sorry to hear yeah. that because I absolutely loved everything about those two. <laughs> really? Garen, to begin with, is like a really good Harry Mudd. You know, the pirate chap from Star Trek. TOS oh, and okay. Discovery. He's so entertaining. His buddy, Unstoff. Yeah. They have such good chemistry with each other. Such great lines. Poor Unstoff is just being... I, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Is it Unstoff? That's how it's written, yeah. Rad. Unstoff. Unstoff. <laughs> Poor Unstoff is being used by Garen, but they're still good friends. I want them to have a spin-off. Really? Yes, and I would watch the crap out of that spin-off. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you point out the accent. The accent is brought up in part one, I think, by the doctor who eavesdrops on Garen, and he refers to it as a Somerset accent. Is that really a Somerset accent? It's not, I, right? I don't remember it sounding like a Somerset accent. And I don't know if the accent... Summer, Somerset? Some, I can't <laughs> do it. I can't do it. I'm a foreigner. S- Somerset. Shit. Oh, fuck it. Somerset. There you go. It's that kind of farmery. Exactly, yeah. That That's the stereotype anyway. But I, I'm not sure their accents are consistent enough to ever kind of fully <laughs> place it anyway. It, he is said later on to hail from Hackney Wick. Yeah. He's a Londoner, this guy. Which is what I pegged him as. Yeah, exactly. The way he he, spoke. I don't know why he seems like a, the Somerset line. He seems like he's plucked from lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. He could be one of those dudes. I think this is what... This re- guy should be selling planets from, you know, the back of the van somewhere <laughs> in East London. Yeah. <laughs> he's showing you the little cube and it's like, this is it in miniature scale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the real one's bigger. But if you give me the money now, you get the real one later. I promise. I promise. My, my where's my bond? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're my bruv, right? Yeah, I wouldn't lie to you. Also not what he sounds like, no, no, I don't know no. why, why we want that. <laughs> but you're right. It seems like they've been grabbed from 1970s London. And they're even talking about places that... And like the Sydney... He's talking about the... Oh, there's trivia associated with that, though. ...to sell the Sydney Opera House, which is the trivia that someone actually did that. Oh, no. Wait, that's a thing? That's oh, well, not a trivia I found. I know there have been massive cons in the past about this kind of stuff. I'm sure there was some story about either the Eiffel Tower or the Statue of Liberty, like someone tried to sell it. Oh, that's amazing. And <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's not a unique premise. Like there's real world examples of people trying to pull these scams. Sure. But I couldn't help but think, okay, there are buildings in the world today that have stood for thousands of years. Yeah. I'm not convinced the Sydney Opera House is one of them that's <laughs> going to stand for another thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The trivia that I had associated with that, it might actually tie into the reason why his accent is all over the place. Okay. So in one of the early drafts, 
he was Australian. They uh, were both. They were meant to be Australian characters. And that's the only reason they wrote in that little line about how he sold something, some like all of Sydney Harbour. Right. Uh, and why he's so emotionally attached to the, the opera house. Like, no, no, a man's got to have limits. He didn't want to sell that. He wanted to sell the harbour, no, not the opera yeah, right, house. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which, by the way, I love that as well. But I wonder if maybe the BBC or the director, like at first, it's like, yeah, no, yeah, you're Australian. No, actually, you're like sort of a space Australian. No, actually, you know what? You're from the West Country. No, actually, you're a <laughs> Londoner. <laughs> his origin story is about as muddled or muddied as his accent. So maybe that's part of it. I thought that Unstoff's accent was quite static, though. Yeah, well, because he doesn't get to do... No, he does do a funny accent, I think, in the Treasury Room, is it, when he's trying to be the guard? I can't remember. Oh, yes, you're right. In fact, that's a little West Country, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think it probably is. Yeah. But otherwise, because Garen's the one that's doing the sale, so he's the one that puts on the posh voice, and... Yeah, you're right. He's, he's generally showing a... Trying to show a bit more range in his acting credentials. Yeah. I just could not understand how there's a planet full of humans. Yep. All humans. Not humans. Well, they're not humans. Yeah, but okay. They're shreves. Humanoids. Shreves, okay. Yep. I believe so. That look exactly like us. Then there are two guys on the planet who... Who are human. Yeah. But it takes a while for us to realize that they're human. That's true. And they're selling the planet to a non-human who looks human. Presumably he was a non-human because <laughs> yeah. they're talking about some empire that... Uh, Lividian, I think he says. Yeah. He calls the gods the Lividian Unstoppables or something like that. But I, I also couldn't work out what was going on Invincible, with... Invincible, sorry. Uh, okay. Because um, he's Graf Vindicay. Yeah. And they talk about the Vindicay as if that's... Maybe that's like an empirical family or a title so, or something. Yeah. I think so. And he also talks about himself in the third person quite a lot. It's like, no one wants to cross Graf Vindicay. <laughs> yeah. And I almost kind of wondered if, like, Graf was a, a title as well. Yeah, exactly. I also assumed that that was the title. And then I looked up the spelling, and it's Graf, G-R-A-F-F. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that's his name. And Vindicay, by the way, in my notes, I've spelled it out as, a like, one word. Then I looked at the credits. It's Vinda hyphen K. Yeah. It's, yeah, I love it. What's that? What, dude, what's your, what's your beef <laughs> with this? <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I was just, I think I didn't know what I was getting. Okay. And it never told me what I was getting. And so I was just left a bit confused. And fine, fine. Because, <laughs> okay, let's, let's throw back. Yeah, we've done a deep we're, dive. We're a bit all over the place. place. Yeah, yeah. Because we get a very interesting start to this with the the White Guardian. We should, you're so right. We should start there. Okay, let me ask you a question. How do you feel about the Doctor addressing the White Guardian with such reverence? And basically, he calls him Sir. Yes, he does. How do you feel about that? I'm fine with it. Okay. Here's the thing. I believe that we have met one of the... And I may be wrong about this, and I didn't look it up, but I believe that we have met one of the Guardians before already. Oh, uh, okay. There's an, a serial, a William Hartnell serial, that is absolutely dreadful, and I think I did a solo review of it, because I think it's mostly missing. No, uh. no, sorry, it's completely missing. It's the Celestial Toymaker, and I'm pretty sure the Toymaker is one of these Guardians. Okay. They're basically like Q of the Q continuum in Star Trek. Yeah. Like, they can make anything happen. They are ancient. They were there before everyone else they're super powerful they therefore they don't police the universe but they kind of cue the universe you know they make things happen they make things unhappen they control shit but they can't control six pieces of a device to it's like why, stop time like why would you need a device well yeah <laughs> Why need a device when you are all powerful? This dude, this fucking Colonel Sanders chap in his lounge. No, he's not in the lounge. He's in his white suit, in sitting the, in his uh, freaking Emmanuel chair. Porch. Yeah, he's sitting in his yeah. Emmanuel chair, just waiting to be railed, <laughs> sipping some sort of mouthwash cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> 
with a carnation, a red carnation in his lapel, like he's freaking James Bond. <laughs> I don't understand why, like, technology should be beyond them, it feels like. I mean, it, it's intriguing. The whole setup of this, obviously, we, we said in the, the Beast Gal that this is going to be the entire season. Like, you, yes. you, you know that from the start, pretty much. Like, okay, there are six pieces here. Yep. Right? Yep, we're going to have six six episodes, presumably. Yeah. And I I think I was... I'll come back to it. Okay, I'll come fine. back to it. Can I ask a question to you? You, yeah. you asked about the, the reverence dealt to the Guardian. The one thing that bothered me, and I wonder if maybe is this what bothers you, it's that the doors open, light pours in, and we hear an angelic choir, and the voiceover, it's as though it's the voice of God pouring into the TARDIS. That bothered me a little bit. You gotta imagine that this guy is sitting there, he's drinking his absinthe and mouthwash, and then when he summons the doctor, he has to manifest this light and the choir. He creates that effect. There's not like yeah. a choir in the background. He's by himself in his weird on his weird holodeck, wherever he is. No, that's that's fairity. Which I, I I've always thought was the the wonderful thing with Q is the way they deal with the physical and the beyond physical. That's true. That's and true. Yeah. The way Q just pops up and he's a yeah. ma- he's a man stood there and taunting like a kind of jester almost a lot of the time. That's true. And actually, I guess yeah. Q also does. I mean, he does make himself out to be very godlike. Yes. When he's among humans. But you don't. I guess we don't see enough of this guardian to really feel the kind of power he can wield. Like they could have done a very simple effect of him just appearing. That's true. Or disappearing, you know, and you know that that guy sat on that porch in that chair lounging around or whatever. Yeah. Is not a real guy. Like he's beyond that. He's beyond a physical like body. He's chosen this form exactly. just for the doctor's benefit. But we don't we're kind of filling in the blanks to make it feel better than it was presented. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Yeah. Okay, another element, another aspect of his meddling, if you will, is that he has summoned Romana as well. He's brought another time He's lady pl- in. He's her out of wherever, presumably yeah. Gallifrey. Yeah. And she just appears on the TARDIS. Yeah, but she doesn't feel like she's just appeared on the TARDIS. No, she's she feels that she brief. has... Yeah, she's there by the express orders of, like, the president of the council. Yeah. And does not feel any disconnect between leaving Gallifrey and appearing in the TARDIS. She appears to have treated it like a elevator or something, you know. It's just like, okay, floor TARDIS, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Which means that the White Guardian will have pulled strings in Gallifrey as well. He will have manipulated tons of people to make this happen. I did like that setup, that Romana comes in with a bigger understanding, a better brief yeah. of what's going on. Does she actually come in with the core, or is that already in the TARDIS? Because she definitely knows about the cord. Like, she tells the Doctor, like, you can use it to find the pieces. Yeah, you're right. And they will change when you bring the cord to yeah, them. Yeah, it's as though the President gave that to her. Yeah. Right? and She's even drilled a hole into the TARDIS console for it. Yeah. <laughs> Something is set up in that meeting with the White Guardian. He says, beware the Black Guardian. Yes. So, clearly we're going to meet the Black Guardian at some point. Clearly. I wonder if every piece has its own Guardian. I am very confident that we don't get to see the toy maker again. See, I, I took it as they've scattered them throughout the universe. They're disguised. Yeah. No everyday physical being would stumble across it and go, oh, this is part of the key to time. Yep. I don't know how it's meant to be good enough. Like, the White Guardian is worried about the Black Guardian getting it. Why wouldn't yeah. it be? Why, why hasn't it? Sounds it... like, like, beware of Darth Vader or something. <laughs> but why hasn't the Black Guardian just gone, okay, if, if they really need the key to time... 
for whatever reason. Why would just they like, need the key? Just like all pieces of key to time. Come click, to click me. my fingers. Here you are. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Why send a mortal-ish being to uh, wherever to to get yeah. them? I mean, that's that's Greek godlike behavior, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Maybe watching this whole season unfold, this is what the Guardians do for entertainment. Maybe. Right? They're sitting there on Mount Olympus in their manuel chairs, just chilling. Wait, I could bring a reference to New Who. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> I can't remember what the name of the episode is, but the, the guy with the fingers that detach. Uh, uh, gross. <laughs> Super gross. They're, they're two ancient gods that are just... Yeah, also. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of ancient gods. Yeah. Ish. God-like-ish. It, it was a very busy universe at the start, didn't it? It really was. <laughs> yeah. And then weirdly, also at the start, was the Rachnos. Oh. Did they ever get a bum deal? Everyone <laughs> turns into a semi-divine Q-continuum individual, but the Rachnos stays a spider. <laughs> Lame. Sucks to be you. Yeah, it really does. By the way, are you caught up on New Who? Not entirely. Oh, you want to talk to you about this? <laughs> Got two episodes. How do you feel about Romana? Damn it, I was about to ask you that. Oh, <laughs> me first. Go for it. I'm thinking I'm in the camp where I don't want to judge this early. Okay. I don't think this is enough to really understand what this character is. I think there are some interesting elements to her. The fact that she's a Time Lord, I yeah. I really love that. I, I've been very intrigued to see this companion because she's a Time Lord. Yeah. And like we said, the, the fact that she comes with more knowledge... She's straight out of Time Lord University and feels like she's yes, exactly. got all the up-to-date lingo and understanding of Time Lord lore and the, un- the way the universe works. But she doesn't have the experience. Like, you know, it's, it's a good setup. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I don't know if I enjoyed a lot of <laughs> that playing out as, as the serial went on. But yeah, jury's still out. How about you? I like the interplay between her and the Doctor a lot. Yeah. In the last one, in The Invasion of Time, we had Rodan. Yes. And... There are some seriously, it seems very clear parallels between those two. They're basically, they're the same archetype. They're the same character. Yeah. We talked about that I was aware we were going to get a Time Lord companion. Exactly. And I assumed it was much later. For yeah, some, me too. For some reason, I don't know why. I did not realize that either. And then, bam, it's just here. And yeah, it, they obviously set the groundwork, but then maybe I, that actress wasn't available. Or I'm aware know. of something that may be a spoiler about this character. I don't know if Ooh. you're interested. I might already know it, but okay. Ah, uh, okay. You sure? Yeah. Do it. This Romana is also known as Romana 1. Uh-huh. There is a Romana 2. Is is this just outside of the Hooniverse? Like I, no, the, this is in the Hooniverse. In the Hooniverse. In later, I believe, Tom Baker, in fact. I'm, well, maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I thought Tom Baker. It only now dawns on me that, oh, because she she's... regenerates. Exactly. She must regenerate. Uh-huh. The same character will be played by someone else. You know what? I had seen, because I'd, I'd gone to Wikipedia and it showed the two actresses that oh, right, okay. played her, and I didn't connect it either. It's like, <laughs> yeah, Time Lords regenerate, that's why there are two actresses. I just thought, like, someone bowed out and they wanted to keep the character going. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed her, and I thought that I would... Oh, I, I don't want to... <laughs> Just like throw a fistful of sand in Leela's face. But I thought that I would miss Leela more than I do. Romana really is different enough to not only fill the void left behind by Leela, but also add something new into the mix, which is going to be nice. And then hopefully, maybe at some point we can return to a kind of chemistry that is maybe more like the Doctor and Leela as well. So we can kind of, you know, oscillate between the two. Or maybe even the other way around. What I mean is basically the Doctor was constantly teaching Leela stuff. Yeah. And it is nice that he or she is so much older, so much wiser, knows so much more that there's always that sort of... You can always go to the Doctor as a, uh, you know, a fount of knowledge. 
Whereas with Romana, that does not exist. They are pretty much on the same level. Even though he's more experienced in terms of adventures, they know pretty much the same shit. Yeah, I think... Which is cool. I like that. I do, I do like that. I think what I, I didn't necessarily like, but I understand why they were doing it, is the fact that it brings out even more of the normal, the arrogance of the Doctor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I think it's right for the character. Uh-huh. I just don't know if I enjoyed watching it a lot of the time because I don't know. It it wasn't always done in a like Capaldi would just be grumpy and yep. maybe a bit more commanding with his grumpiness as well. Whereas Tom Baker just seems a bit assholeish. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Yeah? Did you find that he was too arrogant towards Romana, as in to the point where he was unsympathetic? I think some... Uh, definitely at the start, I think... Okay. He didn't want this companion. This whole thing starts with him and K-9 and him being kind of glad that he doesn't have a companion of it at this moment. Yeah, that's weird. Which is weird. It's like, but hey, Leela was a fantastic yeah, friend. Definitely. But it, that, that's the setup they gave us. You know, maybe some time has passed, but I'd kind of assuming not like he i don't think any time has passed. he's, he's just assembled yeah, his exactly. canine mark ii he hasn't he hasn't left that box sat there for weeks no, <laughs> no. He's, he's made that canine straight away <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> he's a good old geek that's just <laughs> ripped that box to shreds and gone yeah okay i'll start building this dog now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> she gives as good as she gets as well she does, yeah. And she has some inside knowledge, inside knowledge about the Doctor, which is quite... I mean, the, the whole, like, uh, you just scraped a 51% pass at the Academy <laughs> or whatever it is. It's nice. She knows a little bit about him. They come from the same place. And she isn't as new to everything as, for example, Leela was. Yeah. She is a little bit more helpless in some situation than situations than Leela was. Leela would have just charged down the catacombs, for example, with her knife, right? Whereas Romana is more, more, yeah, maybe more careful. I was gonna almost use the word delicate. Like she, she's a little more spoiled. Yeah, I think that's what kind of bothered me a bit, and I'm hoping will change. Okay. That actually, for uh, the points where I think she had something to contribute apart from the very early setup she's pretty much relying on canine yeah like, she is whilst it's good that they now want to and know how to use canine it's making her i mean this is her introduction and it's making her character seem a bit weak and undeveloped and I don't know, she's literally been given a crutch <laughs> yeah true but it is also just her first one yeah um, I mean, which is why my you know i say reserving judgment but yeah, it's not the big explosive start that you sometimes get with companions. Yeah, sure. A bit of trivia. It was originally meant to be Sarah Jane Smith. I saw this. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, uh, And Liz Sladen just declined. She yeah. just turned down the offer. I don't know why. Maybe she had other contracts. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Who knows? she didn't want to return. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, according to the trivia, this then prompted the creation of Romana. I feel like they had that character in the back pocket. I guess it's an idea you're always going to play with, I suppose. The fact that he travels with a Time Lord time Why maybe. wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, So do you think it would have played out basically the same way? Like Sarah Jane would have been plucked from where she was by the White Guardian and put in the TARDIS? And... Yeah, I mean, you would have had to have had a little bit more in there, though. There, w- there would have needed to have been a, you left me moment. True. Like, yeah. the, you would have have to spend part of the episode or at least part of their interaction focused solely on the fact that she needs to kind of forgive him for abandoning her yeah it would have been super interesting but i i don't think it would have been good actually no i don't think so either like how 
could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure we're saved from this ever happening. Like a a past companion coming back with like you would have to like we've seen like Martha. No, go, we get we get something. Oh, oh, I see. Right, Com- coming back to. Oh, yeah, I got got you, got you, got you. Yeah, we had this conversation in the last one, I think, about K nine. How does K nine get to Sarah Jane Smith? It's because she appears in The Two Doctors, I think. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah. So we will get that Sarah Jane moment. Yeah, no. I have a feeling they're not going to be as sensitive about it as they ought to be. No, probably not. Because I think, like I was was saying, uh, we've got Martha and New Who, and I think they did the savvy thing where she continues with the alien investigation stuff, and she turns into a a kick-ass... Like yeah, although I mean, I could have done. I could have done without all the kick-ass stuff. Though. Well, I don't know, but I, I think it makes it a reasonable reunion then for, for the Doctor and her. we're already working in the same arena. The same, in fact, then also happens with Sarah Jane Smith, or happens before uh, Martha with Sarah Jane Smith in School Reunion. She's already, I mean, she's investigating exactly some alien yeah. shenanigans with K Nine. Yeah, so I, I don't know how it it pans out with the yeah with the the before that reunion yeah who knows but two doctors yeah the fact that the companion has has gone on and led an exciting yes exactly period of time is super thrilled yeah (laughs) not just (laughs) what the fuck duck which (laughs) i think you're right is is probably what they would have to do uh, without writing a load of backstory in for sarah jane and yeah i just don't think they would i mean sarah jane couldn't even if they don't do that sarah jane wouldn't be able to say oh i'm here on uh, by orders of the president of the council no she would be like i was wandering through west croydon now i'm in the tardis again what gives there there would be a natural disconnect there yeah but i guess the the white guardian could have Oh, just, yeah, yeah. just given the doc all Done the some little wibbly yeah. wobblies. Anyway, we're digressing on something that didn't happen. <laughs> Can I make another, um, uh, actually, another two classic Who references here, or comparisons Ooh. rather? Okay. So the key to time as a season is we have these six pieces. They need to be the key to time needs to be reformed. Yeah, it's been split up. There's a classic Who serial called. Fuck me. What is it called? <laughs> That's an interesting title. <laughs> it's a Terry Nation one as well. It's it's a really good one. Hang on. I'll find it. The Keys of Marinus, uh, which is... Uh, it's five. I thought it was six. It's five pieces. There are five keys which put together uh, create... One giant super key. <laughs> ish. <laughs> one, one device that allows the controlling of people's minds. Oh, Here is okay. the controlling of time. So the structure of the season feels very similar to the structure of the serial, The Keys of Marinus, where every episode was, you go to a different world, you have a different adventure, and clearly that episode is going to end with, you're going to find one more part. Yeah. And then you have one episode at the end where they're assembled, and there are bad guys as well. This is where the Vord appeared. By oh, okay. This is the Vord hiding episode. In my mind, I'm constantly thinking, oh, right, this four-parser of the Reboss operation is that one episode of The Keys of Marinus where they go to, you know, medieval Russia. And I feel like maybe Robert Holmes, who wrote The Reboss operation, was inspired a little bit. It seems quite likely. I might be wrong. Come at me, Robert Holmes. Is there a recent New Who, like first season Jodie Whittaker, perhaps, where there was some... It was a Dalek split into three pieces and ancient tribes oh, had, yeah, had yeah. protected it for generations yeah it was the dalek wasn't it yeah you're right yeah 
not that similar, but similar kind of I wonder if the, like, pieces being gathered. Maybe that's trope. something that's just, maybe I'm completely wrong about the whole Keys, uh, Keys of Mariners comparison. That maybe this is something that happens in sci-fi in general, and perhaps in Doctor Who specifically, that you have this ancient thing, it's so important, it's so incredibly powerful, we're going to split it into bits and we're going to, you know, put them in incredibly disparate locations. Yeah, I think it's definitely a trope. I. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I'm sure it comes up in in various other media shows or... Fifth Element. Yes. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Brilliant one. Damn it. You know what? Forget that whole thing about (laughs) Keys of Mariners. No, but that's good because it predates all of that for a start. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, in my view, a slightly negative tick against this serial because it's the rehashing, which... Oh, whatever, dude. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about the world and the world building in this serial? As in the big picture of Keys of Time Guardians no, stuff, no, sorry, or like the, the actual planet? The, the planet. The planet Rebos. Planet Rebos, the people who live there, all of them, like Binro, and also the, the outsiders, Vindicay and his buddy, what was his face? Oh, old, was, scary, his face? old Scary Eye. It was Sholak. You know what? You say Sholak. I made several notes about what I thought his name was. Oh, the the way I wrote people's names down until I looked it up was just bonkers. But yeah. I think his name specifically is pronounced differently, even by Graf Vindicay, on numerous occasions. I wrote Sherlock slash Sherlock slash Shellac slash Shorlack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, fine. All of those dudes and that plan is... How do you feel about it? I think for the most part, the planet itself and the setup with the jewels and the guards and then the seeker didn't give a shit. Okay, fine. I <laughs> kind of liked the graph in Decay. The one guy I really disliked in this. Well, I think... <laughs> how can we be so <laughs> opposite? <laughs> like a kind of, kind of love-hate thing. <laughs> Like, is, Did you like the the fact that he was utterly devoid of acting talent? <laughs> it's, it's just stupidly overly dramatic for everything. But I I feel like that's just how that character was written. Yeah, and directed, presumably. Yeah, I, I don't really... He's play. a cartoon. He is a cartoon villain. The entire setup is a cartoon. The two grifters are fucking cartoons. Love like. the grifters. <laughs> they are the best. <laughs> They're just... No... <laughs> Why do they They're not Laurel have... and Hardy. To, you know. Big Finish, I know you're listening, Big Finish. <laughs> Please do an audiobook series about those two. It would be so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, I'd... No, I don't know. I found the Graf Vindicay a big caricature for most of it. Uh-huh. I frigging loved the, the way he died. Which is why... Like <laughs> madly meandering around a corner in the catacombs and then yeah, exploding. Like his, <laughs> his right hand man gets killed in the cave in. Yeah. And he just absolutely loses his shit. And but it's not just that he loses his shit, it's that the doctor murders him. The doctor does murder him. Yeah, that's he a, straight up blows up a man. That's fair blame to lay at the doc's door. Yep. Right? <laughs> I also I didn't quite understand. I'm sure the, the graph indicate is saying like I'm gonna destroy the catacombs, yeah, and then I'm gonna bomb the 
planet from my spaceship. And then he gives Doc, who he thinks is the last guard, and yeah. and there's prophecy that only one will come out, so the graph indicator is making sure it's himself. He gives the Doc a bomb. Yeah. So I assumed this is a bomb that's going to like destroy the entire catacombs. But then he walks around the corner and just blows himself up a bit. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why he gives him that bomb. I did see that in an early draft of of the script, again, I'm assuming that the Doctor was not part of it. So the Doctor did not don a helmet. And by the way, the second you saw a helmet on the floor, yeah, the Doctor's going to wear <laughs> a helmet. And the second there's a prophecy that says only one person oh, will yeah. survive, I wonder who, it, who it's going to be. But in an early draft... I'm assuming the Doctor was not part of it because it was the the Graph and the Seeker. And the Graph it did not shoot the Seeker in the head with his laser beam. Yeah. He left her and then headed off to use the cannon to seal the catacombs and like kill her by sealing her in there, I guess. Yeah. And then somehow he got killed. I can't remember how he got killed. The old backfiring cannon trick. No, I think he actually did seal the, the oh, catacomb, okay. but then something else happens. Either he gets murdered by one of the monsters, can't remember what the monsters are called now, or maybe he gets blown up in some other way. But but the Doctor was not involved in it. It's a completely oh, okay. separate thing. That means that in a redraft, they deliberately went, no, 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 murder the old lady, and then have our hero, whom all the children watching this TV show <laughs> look up to, have him murder this guy. Yeah. And be super blasé about it. I mean, I love how blasé he is about it, but it doesn't feel super doctory that he is. No, or exactly doctory. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. We, we talk about this quite a bit, and I think maybe the callousness of it isn't. But I think it's more the, the redirecting it. Like, this guy was about to blow me up. Yeah. I'm going to just pop the bomb on him, and then it's his own doing. Like, I didn't really do it. <laughs> I think that's the doc's kind of logic. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I really want to find the name of this monster. The Shrivenzal. Shrivenzal. You're right. Cool. They were... Oh, you hated them, didn't you? <laughs> I loved them. Floppy feet. <laughs> I thought they were fantastic. They reminded me of uh, the Sand Beasts. There's a two-episode serial called The Rescue. It's a William Hartnell serial. It's where we get introduced to Vicky No Pants. It's the one in which Vicky, new companion Vicky, treats the BBC to an upskirt, and the BBC went... Keep it. <laughs> I bring this up only because we are still to this day getting people visiting our website because they Googled Doctor Who classic upskirt Vicky. Oh dear. Yeah, I see that in there. I, I, I see you. <laughs> I, I know how you found We've us. We've logged the IP addresses. Yeah. <laughs> we tracked it to your parents' house. But she was stuck on this planet. Sorry. Come on. <laughs> No, we know it's true. I can't remember what the planet was called, but she was stuck on that planet for a while and befriended what was called a sand beast. It looks very much like this monster. Oh, okay. It's also just a dude in a floppy plastic outfit. Crawling with... along the floor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect. And now we get to see it in color. I love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> An image actually popped into my head, which I've only just managed to place. Okay. And I don't know how accurate it is, but I think when uh, in Star Wars, I forget which one it is actually, but Darth Vader is addressing a series of bounty hunters. Oh yeah, one I know of exactly the scene. One of which is he's called Bosk, uh, and he he is a he's is he the orange lizard? yellow lizard? Yeah, yeah, L lizard looking. He's wearing an outfit that has appeared on Doctor Who. Ah, uh, yes, the the spacesuit he has. Yes, yeah. exactly. But I have a feeling because he has like claw-like toes. Yeah. And I have a feeling his foot is a bit floppy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. In a similar way. Like if, if you were to take that foot and extend it a bit and like grow it out a bit, you would have maybe got the foot of the uh, Shrivenzar. <laughs> 
And so that's why it's extra floppy, because like, even a small version is a bit floppy. Wonderful. And how many times can we say floppy? <laughs> yeah, Star Wars Hill, if you're listening to this, I hope you're loving it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shrivens, I don't know. I, I did kind of like it. It's just... There we go. It's just a bit cheap looking. As I recall, you enjoyed Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Yeah, for wasn't that big also, floppy dinosaurs. Yeah, wasn't that also cheap looking? I mean, cheap in the same sense, cheap looking um, practical effects. In a way. And they were great, right? They were beautiful. I don't know. I, I have a real soft spot for miniatures. So Ah, oh, there you go. A, a guy see. in a costume dragging himself across the floor is never going to be quite the same. <laughs> ah, so you're not a Godzilla fan, are you? <laughs> not really. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Another potential rewrite from the ending, by the way, just returning to that. Romana is wearing this gigantic, fluffy, white outfit, this coat. I love that outfit. It's beautiful. I love it as well. It's fantastic. And it's so malplacé. It's so incredibly out of place on this planet. I'm not entirely sure if I'm interpreting this correctly. In part three, when they go into the catacombs, someone says, I'm assuming it's um, Binro, says, oh, this is where the ice gods live. The catacombs. Yes. And I made a note. In my notes for part three, I've written, oh, I predict an ice god cliffhanger. And then I've supplemented that later on with, nope, I was wrong. (laughs) Because that's not what happens. But I read a piece of trivia that seemed to indicate that in an early draft, she was that ice god. And that's why she wore that outfit. As in, they confused her for one? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so that at some point, we, or they would have seen Romana in her white, fluffy, furry outfit. And would have gone, oh no, it's the ice goddess. Uh, Everyone run, blah, blah. And she would have saved the day, basically. And maybe commanded the scene a little bit. And and it would have been great. Would have been great. Would have been great. It would have been better than most of what we got. Would have given her some agency. We didn't get that. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't know if I've completely, maybe I've misinterpreted that to a certain degree, but but yeah. The same piece of trivia also said that Tom Baker hated her outfit. Oh, really? I don't know why. Uh, that's all it said, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think another thing should be said about her outfit. Okay. She's got some hella funky boots on. Oh, I missed her boots entirely. Yeah. It's a, see, I, I have a immediate plus point and an immediate negative point about this because okay. it seems like a slightly gratuitous shot of her legs. But, how did I miss this? <laughs> but she, I mean, she just kind of sat... Do you know which episode and how many minutes and seconds <laughs> in it this is? It's... <laughs> yeah, she's got some silver boots on that are... Silver? Laced all the way up her calf. And uh, yeah, they're really cool. Like, her, her outfit is awesome. But it did it did feel like... I'm not quite sure why we're seeing this right this second. Like, uh, it's because it's the bloody 70s and... Yeah. The BBC is run by dudes. Arseholes. But I, d- I like the... Um, definitely the different tone with the... Like, going straight from Leela to... Who, you know... Who was such a barbarian to someone who is almost arit- aristocracy, you know, in her yeah. demeanor and her <laughs> dress, you know. And it, yeah, it's, it's super interesting to see that. And I, I kind of, I want that to be developed more. I don't want her to just slot into a, a usual companion slot because of who I she think is we're gonna and get what her more. background is. Yeah. I assume that we're going to get more. I mean, I, I remember, I remember the character, but saying that, I don't remember which one of the two. I, that, that I, I uh, saw as a kid. I don't yeah. know. And I didn't remember, like, I don't remember her face and I don't, off the top of my head, I can't give you any stories about with that feature her. But, I mean, I remember her and the sheer fact that we get a, a regeneration with the same character, surely that must mean that she was a beloved character. You would think so. Otherwise, her contract runs out and uh, for whatever reasons they feel necessary to hire someone else, fine, they hire someone else and they just pick a completely new companion. 
but clearly this one was so beloved by fans that they wanted to recast it. I guess it could be the opposite. It could be them being a bit stubborn and say, no, the idea of a time lord, time lady as a companion is good. You didn't like this Romana. Oh, I see what you're saying. So we're going to change it. And because of the way regeneration works, hey, it, could be, it could basically be an entirely different character, just has the same name. You know? now, but that's true. That's possible. Because yeah. I, I don't know. I have a weird feeling and I don't know where I have this from that she isn't very well liked. Oh, interesting. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't have anything to back that up with. And I mean, maybe we'll get that from some of the minis later, but possibly, yeah, we shall see. Yeah, looking forward to it. The fact that you compared her with the aristocracy... Would you mind if I brought in a soundbite? Oh, not at all. So fact, I encourage many, it. So many lines in this serial that I absolutely love. <laughs> uh, this is from part three, two minutes and 30 seconds in. I get on terribly well with the aristocracy. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> Seriously, so many lines. I don't know if I'm going to soundbite this. Part one, 1440. Can't stand the cold. Stay out of the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's kind of hate-like. <laughs> I did like the uh, doc saying, the secret of survival is always expect the unexpected. And then off screen, you hear him getting caught in a trap. Oh, yeah. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> like, it's stupid beyond belief. It's but. similar in tone to the, I know this place like the back of my hand. Yeah. And then Leela turning his hand around. <laughs> no, I mean, that's more subtle. Oh, that's true. It, You're in right. some ways, probably better. But <laughs> It's weird, though, because I did kind of enjoy that. But then there's an intentional, well, I assumed an intentional attempt at a comedy moment, again, at the start of episode two. Okay. Doc and Romana are hiding in the, the relic room. Oh, right. When everyone's coming in, you mean? Yeah. So I think, no, I can't remember the exact setup. But yeah, they're in there. Everyone's coming in and they hide behind two little screens. I know. Someone stands right next to yes. her screen and does not yes, notice her. Yes, they do. <laughs> 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 but before they, before the other people have come into the room, there's a moment where they realise the the core rod has been left underneath the oh yeah trophy cabinet, and yeah, they both kind of immediately go to get it and then <laughs> go back to their respective hiding places, and it's just yeah that I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. And by the way, the hiding easily explained away as void hiding <laughs> works. It works. There's a lot of Vord hiding in this one, by the way. When they're in the catacombs as well, there's a lot of Vord hiding. Or rolling into the I mean, even burial canine, plots. Yeah, canine goes into the conveniently canine-sized yeah. alcove. That was interesting. It was like <laughs> For this, no reason. This person was buried with their dog, so there's a hole for the dog. <laughs> How do you feel about Binro? I think I'd probably settle on the the hate-love side of love-hate. <laughs> okay. Uh, what, do you, what do you hate about him? Let's start there. He's... Like, most of the characters, again, is just a caricature. He's... I don't know. Okay. Uh, he's Binro the heretic. Isn't he sweet? He's the Galileo Galilei of this planet. I made that same mistake and then had to look it up. Isn't he the... Uh, oh, is he Copernicus? Copernicus? Oh, wait, hang on. What did Galileo Galilei do? I think he found some planets. I would have to look it up again. Oh, shit. I'm but so Copernicus sorry. Copernicus is the one that, that put forward the idea that, yeah, the Earth is going around the sun. Oh, right. And not which the is, other way around. Which is what Binro is doing, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And then, oh, no. I don't know. It was still spins. It was just a, a too much of an ask in my mind that there's the guy, and he's saying it was it was many years ago that he made this this connection, but the character we have in front of us is a crazy old fool, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We don't have the... Well, he's not been allowed to have a career. No. <laughs> but we don't, we don't have the scientist <laughs> that, that made that set of calculations that was never given its dues, you know? No, that's we, true. We have... 
the crazy old fool that has not been believed and has lived as a hermit for 30 years or whatever. He did the maths. (laughs) At one point, presumably, if you were to do a prequel episode to this, there would have to be a character who's slightly younger than the the chap playing Binro here, like visibly younger. He would have all his teeth to begin with. (laughs) And he would have a telescope of some, like a rudimentary telescope that he's fashioned himself. Yeah. Uh, that no one really understands. Like, what, what are you pointing those broken bottles at the heavens? <laughs> <laughs> and he would be there scribbling stuff on, on parchments and then be proclaimed a heretic. That'd be great. But he would have a whole life. Like, he would have friends. Maybe there's a love interest. <laughs> He's uh, quite handsome, presumably. Very clever, eccentric, blah, blah, blah. Probably wealthy, because otherwise, how could he afford all this luxury time? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and then everything is ruined. I love it. I want to see a freaking prequel to this. <laughs> is it not a bit of a tall order, though, that he's he's a heretic? Yep. Okay, that kind of thing fits with the, the medieval-esque yeah. environment we're presented with. Yep. But he has somehow managed to calculate, you know, they think... Stars are crystals. Yeah, that's why he is considered a heresy. This is the... I mean, heresy in this case is just the fact that he does not believe this to be made by whatever deity or deities they they believe in. It's that he believes that those are all suns. They're not crystals. They're all suns. There are other worlds. Uh, Rebos revolves around a sun. Blah, 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 blah. He's Copernicus, as you say, right? Yeah, but... That's the same level of heresy. It's not that he was some sort of barbarian or whatever. He was... I I might be totally off with my history, but I I feel like the time of Copernicus, there were probably other people around who had progressed the art of maths and science. This is true. Yeah, yeah. It's weird that he's done this solo. It seems to be... It's mega weird. Yeah, which... I don't know. We know nothing about this planet. We. This is the other thing that I, I find really odd with this serial is <laughs> the main people doing stuff have you know are not native to this planet. That's true. Which, my, like, my <laughs> biggest question is like, is this just the the biggest swing door society <laughs> across the universe? No one gives a shit. Like the the guy who's putting in charge of all of it would seem all of the important relics and wealthy objects in this society yeah is just like oh yeah you come from the north just just come into our treasury room our relic room <laughs> uh yeah you, you can store your gold here no 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 it's fine did you recognize him by the way i don't think i did no he was hang on because i i made a note somewhere like i i just wrote oh i i recognize the god and then i looked him up and yeah uh, he's been in tons of stuff He's Prentice Hancock. We saw him in Planet of Evil, Planet of the Daleks, Spearhead from Space. In Planet of Evil, he was one of the dudes wearing the funky blue and white spacesuits. I will find oh, okay. a picture of him. Prentice Hancock, Doctor Who. There you go. Oh, I do totally That's recognize him. him. There wow. you go. I get what you're saying. However, I felt that this serial somehow, it set a tone. It didn't necessarily fill in all the gaps. And I agree with you. You are right. There are lots of gaps. But it set a tone that in itself was world building. I believed in this world. I believed in the world of of Rebos. Okay. Perfectly plausible to me. I, I also, even though... I found the the graph Vindicay exceptionally annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like, criminally annoying. <laughs> I believed it. I could believe that he was an ex-emperor somehow 
uh, foisted off his throne and and who had spent a year in some weird subterranean mine, or maybe it was a spaceship, I don't know, this labyrinth, whatever it was, that he spent oh, a year in okay. with his... His best buddy. Yeah, exactly. I've already forgotten his name again. Sherlock. Sherlock, that's right. Sherlock, yes. <laughs> or Shellac. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I, I, I thought that was fine. Okay. I can see, though, you are right. You have opened my eyes to the fact that the character of Binro is highly unrealistically portrayed. There would be so many other things going on in that man's life. Yeah. There was one thing that I found very unrealistic about him myself, though, and that is that he accepts uh, Unstoff's story way too quickly. You know what, Atty? I bought that. Oh, my... <laughs> seriously? <laughs> this, How, what is going on, dude? I think this is... I mean, this is the side of Bimro I liked, is when it's entirely him as an old guy, and he's, he's not being... He, no, he's been branded a heretic. He's yeah. been, like, exiled from the community by the looks of it. Yep. Living as a hermit. Of course, if someone says they believe you after all this time, you're going to latch onto it. Yeah, but if someone just goes, I believe you, I'm from outer space. I look exactly like you, but I'm a space traveler from a different world. I feel like Binro would have gone like, oh, don't try to humor an but old man. He doesn't even do No, that. but this he is someone that has, hasn't said, whoa, what are you? No, they're crystals. You're a heretic, which is presumably what he's come up against. You know, this is someone that said, yes. What you have said is true. I'm believing you. Okay. Binro's already on board. Okay, fine. And then I'm justifying that because I've been to one of those planets. I come from one of those planets. This is I where know. if I were Binro, I would I would at least doubt it. Like, I, I would just go, Don't don't lie to me. Don't humor me. And then yeah. I would request that Unstoff is his name Unstoff? What's Unstoff, what? yeah. Unstoff. He's unstoffable. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Unstoff, uh, well, prove it. And then you hear the voice coming through the ether played out of his, um, you know, um, yeah. Apple Watch. Yeah. And that's when Bin Liner, Bin Row, just goes, oh, my goodness, you weren't lying. You're right. That's, that's something I don't even, I don't even know what that is. Instead, it just takes everything at face value. And I thought maybe that was not handled as elegantly as it could have been. But yeah. fine, apparently you, who hate this cereal, <laughs> loved that bit. Fine, 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 fine. <laughs> I think I did like Binro. Oh, there you go. You know, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's just with, with all of it, I was just like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, I was really struggling to just say, I'm suspending disbelief or all, okay. of, the, all of this makes perfect sense. You know, <laughs> I was just like, no, that's weird. Uh, no, that's just a stereotype. No, why doesn't this guard give a shit about stopping people from coming into this <laughs> treasury room? You know, it's just like, no. Like this, this, that whole treasury relic room set up really, really bothers me. They have a pet monster to guard it at night. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's how important it is to them. Like there's, there's a beast in there, which they will not be in the same room with. Correct. Yeah, because it's a freaking crazy dinosaur. My yeah. note for that is, it, the cliffhanger of part one is, cliffhanger as lazy dinosaur tries to rank Oramana. <laughs> I'm oh, fine. Oh, with the Star Wars all over the I place. I know, it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, so I'm fine with that. What I'm not fine with is that the um, Armstoff, he, he creeps in, he breaks into it. He breaks the glass. Like I mean, he cuts the glass. Yeah. He places the Jethric... We haven't even talked about the Jethric. No. He places the Jethric, which it turns out is not even Jethric. It's the, the actual piece of the key to time. Yeah. Replaces the glass, like un 
lasers the glass, however he cuts the glass. And then these people who come in into this room every day, like clockwork, perform their little ritual, they don't recognize that, that there's a gigantic blue diamond. Glowing blue. <laughs> <laughs> inside the glass cage. Yeah. And these are people who seem like they don't even... I mean, this is meant to be... It was modeled after medieval Russia, according to the trivia. Oh, okay. Which is why, by the way... Uh, let's take a quick tangent into trivia land. The planet Rebos... This is from, I think, Tardis Wikia. No, sorry, this is from IMDb. Planet Rebos was patterned after medieval Russia, with the name being an anagram of the common Russian name, Boris. Okay. The currency of Rebos, the OPEC, was a reference to both the Russian Kopec, one hundredth of a ruble, and OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. This is medieval Russia. Oh. Yeah. The guard outfits look a bit Russian, though, with the, the fur trim. In my notes, they're described as space Mongols. Uh, okay. Which also, Russian Empire, Mongolia, yeah. they're bored. Yeah, fine, that's fine. fine. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> But it doesn't seem to me like they would have even the technology, the understanding of how to make glass. Why do they have a glass cage? And these weird electric lights, the with the twinkle noise, the sound effect every time they light and, and Yeah. I think I mean you can you can do a bit of hand waving of like obviously they didn't follow the exact progression of humans on Earth. Yeah. They they are medieval like. So and then, there's 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 a big my hands are very wide at the moment. You yeah, know, I can I can attest to this. Uh, there's a big range in that <laughs> like. <laughs> but, I mean, they do live in a medieval society. Yeah. They apparently know how to make glass, which they wouldn't. They don't have lasers or anything like that. They, they are able to somehow technologically turn on and turn off lights. But if you say you are from up north, which is tantamount to saying I'm from just... I'm like three days ride away from here. Yeah. They will have no idea what society is like over there. I don't know what society is like. Well, I mean, the the Vindicae is told by Garen. If anyone asks, just say that you're from up north. In brackets, because they have no freaking idea what well, people are like up north. Just say no. that you're from up north and they'll just go, oh, okay, cool. I, I guess life is interesting over there. <laughs> Which actually doesn't even fit with medieval, does it? Like, I mean, medieval times, countries were waging war across the globe. Uh, people, knew, yeah, exactly. If you could ride somewhere, you would ride there and you would try to claim it for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who governs this? Like, whose crown jewels are these? I don't know. There is, like, the, clearly there's some sort of political system in place or monarchical system in place, but... <laughs> <laughs> we get no details about it. You know what? Still fine with it. Here's a question for you, though. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, I just cut you off there. No, I was just going to go. Okay. <laughs> okay, question for you. Graf Vindicay has his gods. They are wearing medieval knight helmets. Yeah. I mean, it feels very much like the, the sets, the decor much of the the costume is just because the BBC happened to... Like, maybe they shot Ivanhoe next door. <laughs> like, fuck it, we have all these props. Do you think this is what the Lavidian Invincibles always look like? Or do you think that they have altered their look and feel to cater to the locals? I assumed the latter. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, we don't have strong evidence to really back anything up, but I... True. It would be a hell of a coincidence. <laughs> 
that this they've been waging war in starships. <laughs> They're not in any way sealed. <laughs> no. It's just it's just for show, you know. Okay. That that's a very strong argument that makes sense. Okay, I've got another question for you. Vindicate is there to buy the planet yeah. from Garen. But he it doesn't seem like he's there to buy the planet for its mineral resources. That's just the bonus. He is there to buy the planet to like settle down there. There's like a little pied If he's in this part of I the galaxy, th- maybe he can settle No, down. I think it's something about building up forces in secret or mm. like he's he's trying to reclaim power that he's lost, I think. Wait, you're right. You're hundred percent right. So he he wants some backwater planet that he can slowly kind of get his forces up to scratch again and then yeah. launch an invasion of something. I don't know. Okay. That's, that's the impression I got anyway. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. I guess that's not going to happen. Oh, well, he's dead, so no. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Biggest issue. Oh, oh please, yes. <laughs> Hit the, me. The, the thing you rightly said we haven't talked about yet, we need to talk about. Okay. The Jeffrick. Yes. A.K.A. the actual piece of the key to time. Correct. Do you, do you really buy that we need to go through this entire adventure? No. No. Absolutely not. Like this. So for context, we, we should explain that Jethric is like the most valuable substance in the... It's the unobtainium yeah. of this universe, of, of the universe. Of which there are many, I'm sure. This comes up so many times. Yeah, that's true. But it is said that even this tiny piece, this... Well, it's not tiny. I mean, it's it's the... It's the size of a laptop. Yeah, exactly. This piece could power an entire fleet of spaceships yeah. for an entire campaign and is worth so much, let's just say money, uh, whatever currency you subscribe to in, in on whatever planet, that selling this one piece of Jethric would make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. So if you have this piece of Jethric, you don't think it's a key-to-time piece. It's not a Horcrux to you. It's Jethric. We can retire in style. <laughs> this should end with Garen trying to buy Sydney Opera House <laughs> with that piece of Jethric. But he doesn't have it. No, but I mean, he wouldn't even go there. He wouldn't try oh, to, I see. you know. I wonder if there's an element of the meddling monk in him where he's like, I don't need to do this, but I really like to commit crimes. <laughs> I just enjoy stealing shit. I, yeah, I, I get that from his character, definitely. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. Because this, again, I don't understand at what point the humans are meant to be at. I don't, I don't know if we get a time period for this at all. It's the distant future, according to Tardis Wiki, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I found my note on, you know, why it bugged me that Garen is talking about, you know, Sydney Harbour and the Opera House. Yeah. He also talks about machine guns. Oh, like, does he? Like, the way he talks about Earth is incredibly dated. It doesn't feel like... So it's Earth in the 70s, but it's space in yeah. the year 5000. <laughs> it doesn't feel like an Earthling with that phrasing of Earth life and technology could be on another planet. Maybe he's Star-Lorded. Maybe he's like, uh, what's his face? Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. Him and Unstuff just got plucked out. And yeah. I don't know. So I don't on know. Earth, it's still the 1970s, that kind of you know level of technology. But he like, is... If there was a hint of that, I would be so much more on board. <laughs> that would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, pl- plucked away from an orphanage. <laughs> yeah, they, they should make two soon-to-be-three movies about that kind of setup. <laughs> 
Yeah, I get. It. I agree with you. I think that's a very, very good point. Earth does not seem like it is any. I mean, we don't encounter other humans, as far as I'm aware. I don't think that. Wait, is Unstoff human? Unstoff is not human, is he? I assumed he was. Is he not? He says at one point that Garen comes from a place called Hackney Wick, which is like a pile of mud in the middle of nowhere, something like that. Well, he's talking to Binro at the time, so he's he's trying to explain things without explaining too much. Oh, okay, sure. And I, I actually took that mud, the pile of mud yeah. reference to be an attempt to say things have changed on Earth. Like, oh. that area of London is oh, now wow. just a wasteland. Sick burn, Hackney yeah. Wick. <laughs> Like, th- there are some interesting things in here, definitely. Yeah. And I, d- I just feel like, as is often the way with these serials that just have far-reaching attempts to to cover so many bases, it's just, it's all too compressed and underdeveloped. Yep, fair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, some good things on my note. Should we, should we have a go with that? Oh, please. I enjoy how much K-9 enjoys stunning people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. In your opinion, better use of K9 than we've had recently? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I, I wasn't sure how I felt about the dog whistle that the dog has for K9. I forgot about that. You're right, yeah. Do you like that? It's an interesting way of summoning K9. Is it the kind of remote that you have for your Tesla, except it's just made to look like a whistle because K9 is a supercomputer that is just made to look like a dog? I don't know. It really looked like he was blowing a whistle. <laughs> yeah, it did. I forget. Does he use it to he does it wake twice. up the Shriven as well? Shrivenzale. The Shrivenzale. Shrivenzale. <laughs> yeah, so I, I quite like that bit of canine. I like that mm-hmm. Unstoff has a moment with Binro. Like that little interchange is, is, is quite nice. And he's saying, like, in the future, men will turn to each other and say, Binro was right. Yeah. Is that how would you compare that to Vincent and the Doctor? With the, don't you worry, you're insane right now and people think you're a bum, but (laughs) about one ear amputation from now and, you know, a bit of time, people will revere you. Um, I don't think they're playing the same sport, let alone in the same ballpark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was was a nice, it was a nice little line and their little interplay (laughs) was nice. But yeah, Ben Rosa stereotype and Unstoff is just nothing. Like we, I loved Unstoff. I thought I recognised him from something. I felt he was a bit familiar as well. I've not actually looked him up. I looked him up. His image on IMDb, I couldn't find anything that I recognised, but his photo on IMDb is a screenshot from this serial. Oh really? Yeah. So I don't think just that's he... one of those faces, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Or a famous cousin or something. Possibly. I, I thought that those two, Unstoff and Garen, were a fantabulous duo. I know you thought that. I did. I really <laughs> did. Says he contributed to films such as Muppet Treasure Island and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, Hitchhiker's. Okay. Film version, though. Oh, really? I hinted earlier on. I, I like the way that they did actually address some of the earlier points and it coming back round. So the doc had got the signal for where the first part of the key was. Yeah. And they were talking, him and Romana were talking about how it had moved. And, oh, yes. And yeah, that yeah. comes back at the end when Doc says, well, to Romana that it has to be the Jeffrick because That's that the was, only thing it was that, yeah. put there. And it obviously we got a signal that moved at the start, you know. So that there were there were some nice kind of intentional things set up with the beginning and the end. But I don't know. Good writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what it is. <laughs> For my part, there are 
plenty of things in this serial that I liked. I mean, I, I've already pointed out there are so many good lines in this. Although I think this one's probably stolen from somewhere. There's no comfort in dying. One might say it's the last thing I want to do. Hey, he's got to go back this way. Why don't we stick around and mug him? Wasn't that nice? Onstoff, just like, he's so ready to commit a crime. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a paraphrase. I didn't quite catch the quotes perfectly, but it's from part three. A madman's coins jingle as well in my pocket as anyone else's. Uh, yeah. I, I think in general, this serial is quite well written. It's not that sci-fi. That's the only thing. It's like a fake historical. It's not even a pseudo-historical. It's a fake historical. It's a lo-fi <laughs> yeah. serial that could just as well not be a Doctor Who serial, but it is because we get to see the Doctor interact with this world. There's no science or barely any science in it. And it's, oh, it just feels weirdly faux historically grounded to me. I think you could have just knocked off the Lee and just stopped with weird. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> or, fine. Yeah, yeah. Could have done without the Seeker, by the way. Yes, definitely. Did not, that's a trope that we get a little bit too and, often. Like I've said this before, it bothers me when there's a, a non-scientific thing left on the table. Like, there's no... I think about that, yeah. No explanation given for how the Seeker knows what she knows. Oi, dude, I love <laughs> sci-fi as much as the next chap, but I also believe in much of that stuff. Why couldn't she have some form of ESP? Why not? That's great. There are plenty of things in, in the real world that we can't disprove. We can't explain them, but we can't disprove them. I'm fine with it. <laughs> fine with it. Plus, we get that sort of thing with the uh, Sisterhood of Khan as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Even though there's kind, there's not a scientific basis, but there's sort of a chemical basis behind it somehow. But but still, I mean, there are certainly similarities between the two. Hey, I mean, dogs doing hypnosis in this as well. So, you know. We've, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got all the bases covered. I quite enjoyed the hypnosis, by the way. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. It bothered me that the guard just woke up, though. Oh, I forgot about that. Doc hypnotizes the guard and then... He's not I think completely knocked out. He's he's in a trance and then the alarm goes off. Oh, by the way, they have alarms. Yeah, they have alarms. Yeah. yeah that's true. This is not medieval. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got a little bit of trivia, but I also have one scene that I want to ask you how you felt about it. In part four, there's a scene where the graph shoots a dude point blank with his um, laser crystal weapon. It's, this is the main... Captain of the Guard guy that's been throughout the whole serial. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. And there's no intervention from the others. No one just goes, holy moly, you just lasered our friend. And by the way, I'm so primitive. I don't even know what a laser is. Like, uh, uh, what? You just killed one of us. Yeah. People are just standing around. <laughs> and he's like, mm, I was a little bit too high and <laughs> yeah. to the left. And his buddy, old Scarface, just goes, ah, it's still a good shot. Old jab is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, jolly good. How do you feel about that scene? Because is that not insane? Finally, this madman, because the graph indicator is referred to on multiple occasions as being effectively a genocidal maniac. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Like, finally, he's actually killed someone. Like, for all the pompousness around it, I was I was kind of glad to see that he's, you know, a bit of a actually murderous insane. bastard, you know. Yeah. But yeah, the whole good shot, sir. Oh, well, it, was a, it was a bit off to the left. <laughs> hated and i yeah i referred to what i was saying earlier I, I hate the setup that the natives of this planet do not give a shit about the fact that these people from the north are just here and doing what the hell they want yeah so yes i, I hate the idea that 
a guard gets killed, the captain of the guard gets killed, and no one gives a shit. But it's a bigger thing than that. It's the fact that the captain of the guard himself has let people just wander around the relic room. Is just yeah, that's true. Doing stuff left, right, and center because he's being bribed to do so. Though I don't think I mean, so. his principles dictates otherwise. I think I think Garen kind of insinuates that hey, if you do us this favor, then we'll do you a favor and we'll pay. In fact, I think he outright says we'll give you a hundred gold coins if you let us store this one million gold coins in your safe. Maybe it does actually. I think so. I think it's super strange that people are just allowed to walk into this. Yeah. Into the crown jewel room, though. Right. Would you like to hear some trivia? Always. Potentially about the cast. First of all, I don't know if you noticed, but the doctor's scarf is extra long in this one. The only point I noticed it was when he was dressed as a guard and it was intentionally left trailing to show that it's the doctor. Yeah. So he had his original scarf, the classic scarf. It must have gotten damaged during the production of all these serials since since Tom Baker took over. And obviously he also had a stuntman. The stuntman also had a scarf. And the scarf that we're seeing in this one is the remaining portion of the original scarf and the, quote, stunt scarf. A stunt scarf. Sewn together. <laughs> that was a nice piece of trivia, I thought. I'd seen a thing about scarves being sewn together. I hadn't realised it was because the original had been damaged. That must, makes, well, I'm that assuming so, yeah. 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 I made notes from episode one on that it looked like someone had punched Tom Baker in the face. Oh, okay. Because he had a, a scar on his uh, upper lip. And it turns out it's because Paul Seed, the chap who played Graf Vindicay, he had a uh, Jack Russell Terrier, brought it on set, said Terrier bit Tom Baker in the face. Oh my God. Yeah. And apparently, and I didn't notice this, but apparently his face is caked in makeup to, and like silicone to make up for this massive scar. Oh, wow. I still could make out a tiny scar. I don't think I notice at all. Well, now try to unnotice it. <laughs> there's more, there's more, there's more. I'll put a screenshot of, of this guy on whobackwhen.com. But um, one of the two Shreve in this episode, and I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is the guy who's... You know, there's like a... Above the crown jewel room, there's um kind of like a lid. Oh, the yeah. God's buy it. The guy that gets drugged by Unstuff. Exactly. Uh, Mr. Unstuffable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so at, at a certain point, I'm going through all the names associated with people on the on the cast, and I come across this man. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mr. John <laughs> Hamill, sir. Yeah. <laughs> people at Podcast Land, just look up, just for funsies, look up John Hamill. On IMDb, because his IMDb photo, his avatar, is just him wearing a Speedo with quite clear dick bulgage. I mean... (laughs) Just flexing. He's Schwarzeneggering it up as well. Yeah, so it turns out, at the time, he was the number one bodybuilder model in the UK. Wow. And he was trying to make it in movies. He didn't do well. This is why no one knows of John Hamill. Is it spelled the same as Mark Hamill? I think so. H-A-M-I-L-L. Double L. I think he might just be one L. Okay. I'd I'd, I'd love for them to be related. I know. That would have been like the ultimate Star Wars reference. I did look look at the bio page on IMDb and there's no mention of Mark Hamill there. But regardless. He is is double L. They could be related. Maybe. Maybe they are. (laughs) Regardless. John Hamill didn't have a great career in movies, 
But that's partly because... He had a great career in porn? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just have to say, Podcast Line, I knew that from the stare on Leon's face. <laughs> I mean, also by the image of his, his profile. <laughs> so I feel kind of bad for this guy, but <laughs> quotes from John Hamill. The sex movie has ruined my career. <laughs> but you know how it is. I was out of work. The birds were smashing. And I've always been a born flasher. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel bad for John Hamill, but I don't feel that bad for John Hamill. <laughs> and we still get that one scene of him being drugged. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the guy. I mean, apparently there are two Shreves. I guess there's that guy and then there's possibly the man who gets um, hypnotized. Maybe that's John Hamill. I'm not sure. Uh, okay. It's one of the two anyway. Yeah, anyway, in 1975, I'm going to quote this from IMDb, he attempted to direct, star in, and produce a sex film called Doing the Best I Can. This was recorded in Man Alive, colon, exploitation in 75, was never finished, never released. He left acting in the late 70s after being unable to financially support himself. He went on to run a pine furniture shop. Oh, that's nice. Respectable end to a an otherwise, <laughs> let's just call it a flimsy career. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, you know what? Fuck it. I salute you, John Hamill. <laughs> I'm, ra I'm raising a glass to you. It's far more interesting than uh, you could summarize my life. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> John Hamill, what a dude. And he was cut. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm basically interpreting his attempt at movie making as I'm going to shag some people and film it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Slash, I'm going to work out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and take pictures without clothes. Shall we end on a high with John Hamill? And then go in to rate this? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. <laughs> so Podcast Land, we've had probably the biggest pause between actually talking to you and then going off and doing our minis <laughs> that yeah. we've ever done. And we might be a bit more drunk than we were earlier. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about life. We have. We talked about Germany. <laughs> <laughs> we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I pause on that. Also, dinner on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Life, universe, and dinner. Yeah, holy moly. But anyway, you are listening to this because of the rebus operation. <laughs> so what did I think of that? Well, you've probably guessed I didn't think massively mm -hmm. about it in a positive way. Yeah. To the point where Leon actually joked about our ratings before we started this recording. Oh, no. He thought... I would rate this 0 0.5, yep. and he would be 5 point something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to twiddle my laptop round as the rating no. I originally no. wrote down before... <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> before we did this, after watching all four episodes, <laughs> I was not in a good mood about this. I was literally 0 0.5. Oh, Wow. Have, have, has things this have, review changed your yes, mind? Yes, things have okay. changed dramatically. Good. To be honest, I think the settling <laughs> of the serial itself in my mind was enough to kind of bump that up a bit. Because I do like the fact that they set some st stuff up right at the very start. Not not the Guardian bits, the, the bits on the planet, which they then come back round to. You know, that that is nice writing. And I think I was being negative about the setup because I didn't understand that there would be a, a little bit of a payoff. It wasn't a brilliant payoff. It was it was along the lines of, oh yes, on page one we wrote this thing, and on page 34 we addressed that same thing. <laughs> it, 
it's not, you know, the particularly groundbreaking, universe-destroying thing it may think it is. But it's nice anyway, and it was reasonably well done. But ultimately, I, f- I just feel a bit kind of short-changed with this entire adventure. The setup of there being a grand quest to unite the pieces of the key to time, yeah, fine. It's a bit of a trope, but yes, it's a nice grand setting to put on everything. We've established a framework for the way this series is going to unfold. But my my final note from watching this serial is only five more to go. Fuck, I hope they're better than this one. Oh my goodness, all right. <laughs> because you're right, it's a fake historical. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it had strong merits to it. I don't I didn't feel like I cared about the planet it was set on. I didn't feel like I cared about the random well they, they turn out to be humans, but they seem to be aliens and the other aliens that are on this planet making weird deals about buying the planet and there's a grifter which has a assistant which yes their relationship is kind of interesting. Yes, they're kind of fun, but they're also they're just Tweedledum and Tweedledee. They're Laurel and Hardy. I don't know what, what label you want to put on. They are actors just trying to do whatever accent they can pull off that day. And then you even have moments where the doc is enjoying listening to someone hoodwinking. You know, people that probably have more money than sense. Yes, okay. But the doc is enjoying tales of someone swindling someone out of money. And we've got Romana being a bit arrogant with her brief experiences and the doctor being arrogant because of his vast experiences and we've then got romana talking to canine like she's a children's presenter oh that is true i don't know did as well though i'm sorry to cut in but leela did as well a little bit i don't think quite as bad Leela gave canine like a peck on the cheek that was more it was a more kind of affectionate like uh taking the machine and putting the real dog in it. Okay, point taken. <laughs> Whereas Romana is like, there's a little bit through the whole thing, but right at, right towards the end, she just totally, yeah, she sounds like a children's television presenter. It's like, can you do anything to help K-9? And it's just like, do you know any words beginning with P, children? Mm. It's just the exact same tone, the, ex- the exact same setup. It's, it, you could imagine picking those two characters out and putting it in a... 3 p.m. children's TV show. Which, yes, this is a family show. It needs to appeal to children. All of that, blah, 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 blah. But there were moments, you know, I, I tried to reel off some positives earlier. It's not totally terrible. It's just, <laughs> it's just bad. So whilst my gut reaction was a 0.5, I think the reality settles on maybe a 1.2. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 1.2 from Jim Podcast Lands. I mean, I sincerely hope that Podcast Land will tweet you all <laughs> manner of counter-arguments after this. Right. <laughs> I'm guessing you might be a bit higher than that. I am so incredibly pleased that you are, and I are almost diametrically opposed <laughs> <laughs> in this regards. It's, it's fantastic. I don't think this has happened before. Normally, we're pretty much on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Not this time, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I don't agree with your points, but in a Voltaire-esque kind of way, I will fight to the death to defend your rights to have the wrong opinion about this serial. Um, Thanks. (laughs) I think, and I may have touched upon this a little bit in our review, but I think that despite so little background being given, there is an impressive amount of world building going on in this serial. 
Okay, I definitely did touch upon this. Production value never felt like they just recycled the medieval props from next door. It felt genuine to me. Like, I would love to go back to this place. And it feels a little bit like... Um, I mean, th the world itself is not entirely unlike Peladon. We had the monster of Peladon, the... You, you know, yeah. blah, blah. My mind can fill in the gaps, which... Thank you. You have absolutely highlighted for me over the course of this evening. There are some serious gaps in this serial, but my mind is happy to either disregard or fill them in with, you know, wibbly-wobblies or placeholder history for, for all of these species. Looking at the main actors, the Doctor, he is brilliant. I thought perhaps even more so than we've seen him recently. I'm not a fan of him murdering people, but you know what? No one's perfect. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Romana makes for a refreshing change in pace. To me, I do miss Leela, particularly after this conversation. I really do miss Leela. And Romana may just be sort of a thinly veiled replica of what's-her-face. Um, Rodan. Rodan, thank you. In The Invasion of Time. But she does very well in her part. Really, really well. And we didn't really talk about this, but there are a few elements, a few scenes in this serial where she's just ludicrously expository. She's there just to ask the very, very silly and self-evident, just, just the obvious questions for the Doctor to answer so that anyone who maybe didn't catch the last episode will be able to figure out how to piece together all the clues. But I'm willing to see past that. And I'm quite hopeful that she will get even better. I really liked her. Yeah. In much the same way that I really liked uh, Rodan. I thought those two had fabulous chemistry. And absolutely, I liked her best when she wasn't afraid to throw some sass the doc's way. In a way that I don't think that we saw Leela ever do. Like those two, there weren't moments of antagonism, but there were certain, certainly moments of, you know, disagreement between the two. But it was always to, in the doc's favor. In this case, I love that they are on equal footing. Anyway. Yes, if I might interject. I yeah, please. It, I guess it feels with Romana, it's more a clash of minds rather than with Leela, it was a clash of cultures, perhaps. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we talked about this briefly before. I, I like that we get both in the many, many decades of Doctor Who that we have. I like that we have both experiences. It's just that I want to kind of, in a, in a sinus curve, I want to vacillate between the two. If I get too much of any one of them, I will get bored. And, and now we're on the other side. Yeah. That's fine. That's perfect. Looking at the, not the bad guys, but the medium guys, Garen and what's-his-face, um, Unstoff, loved them. Okay. I mentioned Big Finish before. Big Finish did a, a whole spin-off series with, I can't even remember their names now, but the two chaps from, um, what's the incredibly racist uh, Chinese-themed serial? The Talons of Wen Chiang? Thank you very much. Yes, exactly. I didn't even look that up, Podcastman, <laughs> which means it's probably wrong. <laughs> no, I think you're right. The Talons of Wen Chiang. The two chaps, the two humans who are in that serial, the, the good guys, sort of the companions du jour. Yeah. yeah or de Simin, They have their own spin-off series on Big Finish. Like detective stories, yeah. I guess, because they solve crime. They're like Sherlock and, and Watson. I can... Absolutely. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is, in fact, already in existence and I'm just not aware of it. But I can absolutely see a string of audiobooks about Garen and Unstoff. I thought those two were wonderfully entertaining on screen together. And I'm assuming in ears together as well. I would love to see more of their adventures trying to con people out of whatever. And occasionally maybe crossing paths with a doctor. It would be fabulous. <laughs> I would watch it. Big finish. 
hire us. We'll write it. Anyway, um, <laughs> my least favorite character, despite this being one of your favorite characters, is undoubtedly Graf Vanderbeek. Wait, I never said favorite. I just kind of liked. Uh, a chap you liked. Yeah, okay, a bit. fine. Well, <laughs> and also hated. <laughs> He actually is Graf van der Beek in my notes, I've just noticed. Um, overacting, lacking in credibility. I didn't really get him on many occasions in this serial. And most of all, I felt that perhaps the actor or maybe the director didn't really get him either. Very sorry, dude, in case you're listening to this. I mean, the thing is, I don't feel that he was a bad actor. It's just that everyone in the serial was playing their part either very straight or very humorously. He, however, was the single cartoon, at least in my eyes. I know that you disagree with this, but I, I felt that he was the only cartoon, and for that reason he stood out. I really feel like someone on set might have been able to tell him otherwise. Maybe we could invent a job for this. Maybe someone could have given him, let's call it, direction as to how to do this differently. Anyway, never Ooh. mind. <laughs> what was that sass you were talking about earlier? <laughs> yeah, sick burn, buddy. <laughs> K9 is K9. Glad to have him um, back. Or... or a new, I don't know. I couldn't really tell the difference between them. The monsters, wowie, loved every stinking inch of them. <laughs> they were Sandy the Sand Beast from The Rescue, as I said. Loved them. Most interesting of all, though, is the fact that we get a season-long arc, which is a new thing for Classic Who. It's not new from, I mean, we're, we're re-watching, or sorry, we're watching this from the point of view of New Who, where this is standard. But this is the first time that we get it in Classic Who. Oh, wow. Okay. And we don't know this at this point because we're watching this in 1970, whenever this is. 76? 78. 78? Yeah. Okay. We're sorry. post Star Wars. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> so, so we're watching this in 78 and, and we don't know that we're in for a whole season of this. But we do know that there is something missing from the story. Doc is on a mission and he hasn't fully completed it yet. Yeah. This is new ground that is being broken. That's tremendously exciting. Holy moly, the key to time. That's a freaking box set that I've never seen. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my sweet buttery time lord. I cannot wait to see them get, you know, more and more pieces of that key. Overall, I think this is a keeper for me with points really only subtracted for the relative lack of sci-fi. Now, I started... Before you arrived, last night, in fact, I wrote 4.1. Okay. It's not 5, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had written 3.9, but I don't want to go below 4. This is a 4.0 for me. Okay. Yeah. 4.0. Wow. Yeah, in your face, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> This is definitely the most diverged we've ever been. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Listen to minis? Yeah. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron! And welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. We have got one, two, three, four, five listener minis for this Classic Who serial, starting with. Chris Tapps Paddock. What up, Chris Tapps? Hello there. Chris Tapps says, I'm not going to go overboard with this mini. Oh, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> but God, do I love this cereal. Yeah. Here's my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> oh, dear. I oh, know. I'm going to be left on a limb, aren't I? <laughs> Every character is interesting and well-written, says Kristaps, and would have been a standout in an average story. Additionally, they all have something to do with three or four storylines throughout the script. The White Guardian and his colonial slash surreal desert chill zone are fantastic. <laughs> Eat it up, guys. You'll never see this again. Oh. Oh, that is a shame. 
Romana as the Studio 54 Time Lord is fantastic and gets a great introduction. The double acts here are also excellent. Unstoff and Garen, Graf Vindike and Sholak, and the dual forces of Garen versus Graf, Binro versus Seeker, Fire versus Ice, all point to an outstanding script. And Chris Epps concludes with, this is one of whose coziest stories, mm. and is best enjoyed with a cup of hot cocoa on a cold, ideally snowy, afternoon. Even the rubber lizard body puppet can't sink this. <laughs> and what rating does Chris Epps give this? 4.5. Bam. Wow. <laughs> Shazam. <laughs> that is some good stuff, Chris Epps. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris Epps. Next up, we've got Michael... Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. My, my, Michael. Michael starts with a... <laughs> beef. Yeah, it's just the one beef. Yeah. Which is... Boring. Oh, Michael. A mostly dull tale with limited stage play-like sets. Whilst not as cheap as Underworld or as naff as the abomination that followed, <laughs> why, oh why, would you launch a new series with a bargain basement adventure? Oh well. Michael continues with some likes. First like. That said, the grand quest scene setter and mysterious white guardian is fabulous. We have rubbery, brackets, gory monsters galore. Nice chemistry between the Doctor and Romana, even if Romana is Philomena Kunk at times. Wait, I know that reference from Charlie Brooker's thing. I don't quite place it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Yes, I'm sure someone will get that. Do you mean Diane Morgan's character, Philomena Kunk, on Charlie Brooker's Weekly Wipe? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I had to look that up. Uh, Mike continues with the best moment, apparently. The Doctor returning the graph slap with his own gloves. Oh, yeah. That was a, that was a good I scene. I forgot about that. Yeah, we didn't I was, I was convinced there was going to be a duel after it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Next like, tragic Binro. Oh, sniff. Ooh. And the last like, ah, the old switch the Jeffrick with an explosive <laughs> trick. Touché, Doctor. The seventh Doctor nods in approval. In summary, says Michael, a largely forgettable yarn, in brackets, yawn, but with a few golden nuggets and hints of better, more bonkers adventures to come. And Michael gives this a rating of 1.5 out of 5. Peasants being chomped on by rubbery mutant alligators. <laughs> munch, munch, munch. <laughs> Michael, I knew you were great, but nobody's perfect. You're allowed this one. Michael, that was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Podcast Land. I'm virtual high-fiving you. <laughs> Please, Podcast Land, high-five him as well. You can find him at bad underscore movie underscore club. No more underscore. <laughs> Rubbery alligators got them all. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. And may I say, mm, so big. <laughs> really trying to make it awkward for you, Michael. <laughs> Job done. Next up, we've got Nick Davies, a.k.a. The Doctor. Sup, Doctor? Nick starts in a suitably colloquial fashion. Hey there, here's my latest review. Enjoying the podcast as ever. We're enjoying you too, Nick. Yeah, thanks, Nick. There's not an awful lot to say about this one. Well, Nick, I've seen how much you've written, so I think there is an awful lot to say about this one. Oh, let's hear it. Just rewatched it to do this review and still felt underwhelmed. No! Not seeing it for a long while. <sighs> I think it normally gets rated highly by fans. Yeah. Apparently so. <laughs> the main thing 
that is important about this story is the fact it opens up a season-long arc. Yes, they had those in Classic Who on the key to time. A legendary season in the annals of Who. Having given us all the Time Lord mythology, the writers have to find people who are even higher slash godlike and introduce the Guardians, shadowy entities who ruled the entire cosmos. The Doctor even calls the White Guardian Sir at one point. Oh yeah. He does indeed. A couple of giveaways occur straight off the bat. You have to get the six pieces and beware the Black Guardian. You just know these matters are not going to be as straightforward as they sound and may well get turned on their head later on. We also get a new companion, another Time Lord, and a very different Doctor Companion relationship to what we had up until now. Also, new K9! who is pretty much the old canine. And we find out the Doctor is 756. Oh, yeah. yeah. We didn't talk about this. Either his regenerations were very short after this, Doc 10 says he is 903, or the whole age thing is a load of BS. <laughs> yeah, BS is most yeah, likely. Yeah, yeah. This, that seems like a correct approach. The story itself is limited to a bunch of characters I'm not too bothered about, conning each other and a fairly neatly devised plot which gets resolved relatively easily. And then Doc and Romana have their first key segment. We also have a dinosaur thing reminiscent of Pertwee monsters some dramatic music during the rituals, and a nicely designed bunch of sets and costumes. That's about it. And Nick gives this a rating of 2.7. Wow. Wowee, Nick. You know what, Nick? It's not my phrase, but given that you've basically said things I agree with, I'm going to say you've got a big heart. (laughs) Yeah, you do, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like that's the exact same sentiment for my one point. What did I say? One point two. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And you gave it two point seven. Yeah. So why don't you give this two point seven? <laughs> There's a flaw in your logic here. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much, you, Nick. Nick. Excellent awesome, stuff. Many. Next up, we've got Phil Salter. Hello, Phil. Hello, Phil. I've just seen your rating. <laughs> <laughs> Phil starts. What the hell is this? Indeed, what the hell is this? <laughs> a blood amazing story, that's what. Oh, damn it. Scott. I'm sure kids would find this one boring. Oh, something like Stupid kid. kids. Yeah. But let's face facts, it's amazing. The White Guardian is great with his cocktail and holiday suit, gently threatening <laughs> the Doctor and throwing him into the first ever, and slightly disappointing in ending, no, spoilers. season arc. Several unrelated points follow. Romana is brilliant, just amazing. She goes around the universe with sardonic comments in hand, and the comments about being called Fred was very funny. Oh, I did like that, actually. Yeah, that that is good. Tom has upped his game in response to Mary Tam. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, fair enough. The graph vindicate. Let's face facts. The most important question here is, does anyone make a fool of the graph vindicate and live? He seems to go around threatening everyone to very little effect. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's true. Binro was right. I love Binro and his justification of his beliefs. A really nice moment. A great, if very talky story. So I'll give it a 4.7, says Phil. Holy moly. Holy moly, indeed. I reckon Phil might have a pretty big heart as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Humongous heart. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a lovely mini. Uh, Phil adds as a Twitter shout out to himself, no one tweets the graph Vindicay and lives. Nice. <laughs> Slight side note. Yeah. When the graph indicates says that line, 
Like, no one crosses the graph in the K and lives. Yeah. Is he breaking the fourth wall or is he just glancing off to the side? Oh, you, I didn't notice. Do you notice. recall that scene? No. I don't really... Do you mean he looks straight into the camera or what? It's not quite straight, but, like, he's the only person in frame and is looking basically at camera. Oh. Yeah. I missed it. I missed it. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you, Phil. Thank you very much, Phil. Next up, last up, we have... Paul Waring. <laughs> Hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. <laughs> Paul starts. The key to time season feels like a departure for Classic Who, as for once we have a strong arc where every story is connected to and dependent on the others. I'm not sure why this wasn't tried before or since, because I think it works well, although it requires a careful script editor to make sure that the stories are consistent. Yes, we will be paying attention to that, I'm sure. Definitely. (laughs) Paul, of course, does continue. The new companion Romana is excellent. It's good to have a character who is on or above the Doc's level intellectually. I really like how she is portrayed as more academic than the Doctor, with her comment about him barely scraping through his degree. (laughs) But this is balanced against the Doctor's greater experience. Mary Tam gets the role just right, portraying a sense of superiority and gravitas, which contrasts with the Doctor's somewhat eccentric and chaotic approach. I love the interplay between Garen and the Doctor, says Paul, especially at the end where they are trying to deprive each other of the Jethric. The Graf Vindicate is a complete psychopath, but he meets a fitting end. In terms of monsters... The Shrivenzale is perhaps best forgotten. (laughs) Okay, fine. It might have worked better if we could just hear the monster but not see it. But hey, this is classic who. Rubbery monsters are part of the fun. Couldn't agree more with you. (laughs) (laughs) And overall, says Paul, this is an entertaining story with some hilarious over-the-top acting and some great dialogue. No surprise that it's written by Robert Holmes. What a ledge. Indeed. And the rating Paul gives this is... Four out of five. A stellar rating, though I say so myself, Paul. <laughs> stellar. <laughs> nice stuff. I, I cannot take fault with any of these comments. You know, people have, have seen what they have seen. I've, yeah. I've seen what I've seen. Absolutely. Great stuff. Loving that. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. And uh, to the rest of podcast land, I'm assuming that you want to go online and tell Paul how much you agree with him. Please do so. Paul can be found at P. Waring. That's P. Waring. <laughs> this is another case of freaking crazy marmites. Like, uh, yeah. Loves and hates. We are all over the place with this one. Excellent I, stuff. I liked that that was reflected with the, uh, the listener minis. Yeah. I was mostly left on my own. <laughs> A couple of people around my, my area. I have no doubt that the sixth mini, just statistically speaking, would have been on, you know, in your camp in this yeah. in this case. But it's good. Like, I, I, I can see why people like it, but it is a very Marmite. It's like... Love it or hate it. Genuinely, the things you have enjoyed about this, Mr. Leon, <laughs> I have kind of hated. <laughs> and the things I've kind of enjoyed about it, you have kind of hated. That's true. <laughs> and also, I'm really glad you're finally referring to me as Mr. Leon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that, Mum? <laughs> it happened. <laughs> well, you did pay me enough. <laughs> so thank you very much, everyone who sent in a listener mini for this one. Fred not podcast land. If you haven't sent in a listener mini yet, and you're listening to this podcast episode, that means it's already online and live. We're not going to record your listener mini, but feel free to contribute it anyway. Go to whobackwhen.com and post it there. People do, you know. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Right. 
That pretty much sums up this Hoovian soiree, I believe, Jim. I think so. What have we got coming up next? Next up, we will be doing some new Who, probably. Oh, yeah! And we'll, we'll be... <laughs> Regretting that noise we just made. <laughs> oh, we will indeed. <laughs> and probably trying to kill the moon? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. A great episode and also maybe with some bad bits in it. That's how I remember it That's as well. That's how I remember it yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> After that, we're back in classic country with the pirate planets. That sounds awesomely bad. And at some point, we're probably going to do the next audio as well. We're reaching... We're, we're working our way towards the end of the 8th Doctor Adventures. And the next one's going to be a double feature. It's going to be Deimos and the Resurrection of Mars. Nice. Yeah, good stuff. In the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Uh, Jim, do you have a Twitter account? Funny you should say that. I do. Really? Yes. Find me at Jimmy the Who. Nice. Jimmy the Who, you say? That's exactly what I said. I'm going to make a note of that. (laughs) You should do, because you ask me it every week. And where can they find you? (laughs) Well, you can find me. Let me guess. Wait, I'm going to psychically guess. Hey, wait, wait. Take this crystal ball and see if this helps you. Your name is Leon. Yes. You do a podcast to do with Doctor Who. Yeah. You must be at Ponkin. Makes no sense, but you're spot on. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Say hi. I'll say hi right back, you know. This is good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next time, please be rad and excellent to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I can keep that silence. I want to keep that silence. That's good. good. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey, Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly give us a rating and review on iTunes it helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it, rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?